From KCRW, this is Greater L.A. It's the show that connects you to the people and places of Southern California. Hey there, I'm Steve Chiatakis. When you ask people involved with Mayor Karen Bass's homelessness initiative how it's going, there's one phrase you're bound to hear over and over again. Um, I know you've heard this, this thing numerous times, but we're building the plane as we're flying it. Building the plane as we're flying it. That's Latanya Smith, interim president of St. Joseph Center. And she's quoting it right from the top. Here's L.A. Mayor Karen Bass. One of the reasons why we are building the plane and flying at the same time is because there was no way I was going to come into office and not get started immediately. Now, since it launched late last year, the mayor's signature plan to rapidly shelter unhoused Angelinos, called Inside Safe, has scaled up and scaled up fast. And with that speed have come some growing pains. KCRW Zoe Matthews has been looking into the program's rollout, and she's here to give us an update on the things that she's learned in the past few weeks. Hi, Zoe. Hi, Steve. Karen Bass took office in December. Uh, her campaign had focused on the unhoused, obviously, and the, the crisis that is the unhoused here in Los Angeles. How big exactly is the problem that she's trying to solve, and how much, how much progress has she made? Bass set some really ambitious goals. While running, she said her aim was to house around 17,000 people during her first year in office. So she launched Inside Safe almost immediately without much prior planning. And already in the past two and a half months, the city has swept away 11 encampments citywide under the program. From those, more than 500 have been brought into some form of shelter. Mayor Bass told me in a one-on-one interview that she didn't feel like there was time to wait. I could have taken three or four months to put this program together and to get people off the streets three or four months later. I found that to be unacceptable. People are dying every day. And so we absolutely have weaknesses. We've had problems. We're solving those problems as we experience them. But um, when you have an emergency, you just dive right in. Weaknesses. She used the word weaknesses. What, What is she referring to? So when I talked to people who had been moved off the streets under Inside Safe, I definitely heard about some of these weaknesses and problems. For one thing, many said the rollout of services has been disorganized and confusing. I spoke to one woman who lived with her dog on a median on Culver Boulevard until city officials moved her to a motel. Like some others I talked to, she was a little worried about using her name because she's relying on the city for shelter and was afraid of retaliation. But here she is. I don't have a regular case manager. I can't figure out who that is. Um, I can't get any response from management, upper management. I've left messages. Um, I'm banging my head on a wall trying to get the assistance that I need. Other participants told me they've been receiving food irregularly or gift cards to stores far from where they're staying. Mayor Bass admitted that finding enough manpower to staff these sites has been a big challenge. What we would like is the day you leave your tent is the same day you receive services. And so that is a struggle because the social service providers that do that work are stretched to capacity as well. And another big problem, the conditions at these motels are all over the map. While some are your standard Super 8 type budget motels, others have some pretty extreme habitability issues. Yolanda Oriana, who had also been camped in Del Rey, said she was shocked when she showed up to her inside safe placement in MacArthur Park. The room was was dirty. It was dirty. Um, the it had no toilet paper. It had roaches. 
It had no heat, and there was no blankets on the bed. It was two sheets. I also heard about mold, plumbing issues, and long power outages where participants didn't get flashlights or blankets. One young mother said that she feared for her baby's safety. She had a subsidized room at a Culver City motel where Inside Safe program participants were also staying. My door does not lock. It got broken into, and... Um, like the door shuts, but you don't need a key to, to open it up. You can just kind of like knock on it and it'll like go in. The woman with the dog from earlier said she's often considered leaving because of all these issues. She keeps a tent in the corner of her room in case things don't work out. I need to make sure that I'm ready and that I have the ability to have some type of um, protective barrier for us. And even if it's just, you know, a tent. A tent inside the room, just in case. Um... Is there any kind, Zoe, any kind of vetting process in place for, for these motels? Like, how, how is the city deciding where to put, put these folks? So what they told me is that they're basically renting out rooms where they're readily available and affordable. I talked to Molly Reisman, chief program officer at the Los Angeles Homeless Services Authority. It's often not the entire motel. It might be we're using 20 rooms at this motel and there's 80 other rooms being used by just regular motel clients. Um, in that scenario, there often is not a lot of negotiation with the motel owner and the motel owner um, is responsible for the maintenance of the site and different motel owners maintain sites in very different ways. Because rooms are available to the general public, like she said, some participants also get bounced around. Participant Jeffrey Chop says they had to pack up their belongings and move several times in one week. Apparently my room got booked out for four days, and then they said in two days this room's going to be booked out, so they're moving me again. Um, I was also moved on Saturday, and then I got moved again on Sunday. I asked Mayor Bass about these problems with the motels, and she said finding enough cheap rooms has been a challenge. We have a lot of issues with that because there tend to be less expensive motel rooms in inner city areas versus all over the city. And we don't want to move people far from where they were camping. And remember, this is the off season, so these rooms are only going to get pricier. They're, they're getting pricier, but again, so here, here's the mayor saying we're looking for more affordable rooms. Are they paying full price for these hotels and motels? Now, I can't speak for every district, but on the west side, it seems like yes. A representative from St. Joseph Center, which oversees Inside Safe in that part of town, said that while they always try to negotiate for a lower price, they typically pay around the standard rate. One participant shared a receipt for her room in that rundown Culver City motel, and it cost about $160 per night. That's almost $5,000 per month. More than most people pay for a studio or a one-bedroom apartment. I mean, yeah, 5000 a month is a lot of money. It doesn't seem sustainable. Well, some speculate that sustainability is not the top concern here. Like Fairfax Mutual Aid volunteer Morgan Bennett. She's been working with folks moved during an inside safe effort near LACMA. It was kind of just like, let's get them in a hotel and then figure it out instead of having like this program kind of be well thought out and executed well. It was kind of just like, let's get them off the street and out of people's eyes and out of the complaining homeowners view. Like out of sight, out of mind, right? Um, is there any word on when, Zoe, the, the permanent housing that these folks have been promised is going to come? So that might take some time. 
Bass has said that she plans to beef up housing stock through something called master leasing, and that's where the city leases out blocks of rooms or full buildings and then acts as the de facto landlord, and that allows them to move unhoused residents in more quickly. She's also asked for a list of city-owned properties that might be used for housing, and she's working with Metro and LA Unified to identify more land. But, but in the meantime, more people are going to be moved into these motels, right? Some of them not up to par, some of them very expensive. Is the, is the city at least addressing the problems like we heard the mayor say? It's a mixed bag. The issues at that Culver Motel seem to be ongoing. But Oriana, who wound up at the motel with no blankets, said that after participants complained, they were moved to a much nicer motel, the Embassy Suites near LAX. That was beautiful. It was like, whoa. <laughs> From the ghetto to like Beverly Hills, yes. It was beautiful. I cried when I walked in the room. Now she's one of just 20 Inside Safe participants who've actually found a permanent placement. When I met her, she'd been living in a group home in South L.A. for about a week. She was already making plans to spruce up the rooftop patio. You know, in the summertime, I could imagine it would be nice. Yeah, a little barbecue here, huh? Or just, just to come out and just get peace of mind, you know? After all that chaos, she says a little quiet and stability has been a big relief. I'll bet. Well, KCRW is Zoe Matthew. Zoe, thanks for keeping an eye on this program. It's certainly become such a focal point for the for the Bass administration, the first few months of it anyway. Keep us posted, please. Will do, Steve. It's Greater L.A. Get us by radio, stream, or podcast. Go to kcrw.com slash GLA to find it, and you can listen anytime. Coming up, one family business in the San Fernando Valley is awash with publicity after filmmakers made an Oscar-winning movie at their Washateria. Everything about that story on the other side of this. Moving on now with Greater L.A. from KCRW, I'm Steve Chiotakis. At last night's Oscars, a film set in a laundromat cleaned up. And the Oscar goes to everything, everywhere, all at once. That's the movie that won Best Picture, Director, Actress, Supporting Actor, Editor. I mean, there were so many awards. There's no Oscar, though, for Best Location. If there were one San Fernando couple... Might have taken home a statue, too. They own the laundromat that the movie was filmed in. Kenny Majors owns Majors Coin Laundry, and he joins me now with his wife, Irene Majors, who, who's also a registered nurse here in Greater L.A. Welcome to you both. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Steve. It's all, it's all very exciting. The, the <laughs> movie was set at your laundromat. Were, were y'all invited to the Oscars? Unfortunately, no. <laughs> it would have been nice. But no. Did you want to be? I mean, were you waiting for that invitation? Oh, I would have definitely, definitely went if I was invited. Irene, how about you? Uh, To be honest, probably not. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yes. I think it would be great. (laughs) It's a lot, isn't it? Like, there's a lot of preparation (laughs) that goes into it. Yeah, it's too much. We got invited to the watch party. 
you did get invited to a watch party. What was what was so what was it like at the watch party then it, with all your friends? I, I would imagine, and then they know the the, the backstory and that that it's your laundromat. I mean, were you getting a lot of attention? Oh, uh, you know, my friends for a long time they they know the struggles and the ups and downs I've had. So it was they were they're all very excited for me. Talk a little bit about those ups and downs because you you this this laundromat has been in your family. For you're the third generation, right? Actually, my yeah, my grandfather built it. My dad was ready to sell it, and then I took it over. Introducing the KCRW donation car, designed to be recycled. This first of its kind vehicle will save you time, space, and hassle by disappearing. Enjoy the luxury and comfort of turning your underused car into a donation worth hundreds, even thousands of dollars. The KCRW Donation Car, already in your garage, driveway, or on cinder blocks outside your house. Act now at kcrw.com slash cars. So, yeah, yes, third generation. Third generation, and, and so you say ups and downs. Obviously, you've had to ride through a lot of ups and downs because... It costs money to keep a laundromat in business, I would imagine. There's a lot of maintenance issues and utilities, and uh, there's a lot of setbacks. Like, for example, like the gas right now, it's what's going on with the gas rates is just skyrocketing. And you have gas dryers, right? It, it takes gas in some of those dryers. Gas water heater and gas dryers. Yeah. So imagine, it's like I have 50 ovens in my, <laughs> or more than 50, like, a, yeah, like 60 ovens going all at one time. <laughs> right. <laughs> all at once, yep, as it were. <laughs> how, how, Kenny, how did this happen? I mean, did did the producers just come to you? Did they even try to explain the movie to you? How did it How did it come to be? The uh, scout manager came by and said, "I'm looking at laundromats. I'm taking a few photos of laundromats. I like the way your laundromat looks. Are you interested to do a movie? I or film, filming here? I said, well, you have to pay me enough for me to close my business for a day." So if you guys can make it worth my while, then, yeah, I'll be definitely interest, interested. Did you close it just for a day or how many days? Was no, six days. Six days. Right. And they paid you for it. They paid me for it. They since filmed two commercials afterwards. So I was thinking I can use two productions like that at least, you know, two, two, two times a year would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> so now you're not only in the laundromat business, you're in the movie, the oh, movie set business, right? They pay, a, that... they pay a lot more. <laughs> Maybe this is the beginning of something great. It went right to bills like instantly. It was like burning the hole in my pocket. And then the, the, the couple in the movie has a daughter, um, and you took your daughter to see the movie when it came out. What was that <laughs> right. experience like? That was great. I never expected the movies, the story for the movie was going to be like that because when they were filming it, um, it was hard to know, to catch up with, you know, with the story. But when I took my daughter and I saw, oh my goodness, it's almost like us, like me, my husband, my daughter. And my daughter right now, since she's in high school, she has changed a lot Like when she was little. <laughs> totally yeah. brought me a lot of memories and sadness because also, you know, like at, that, at this time, um, she wants to be herself and she wants to be... Um, I mean, independent, and it's so hard for, for, for us to, you know, like, okay, let her fly. <laughs> and I feel like in the movie, Stephanie and Michelle, they project that, you know, like the respect for mother and daughter and also the traditions, the family. 
the tradition, but also the, the, the working, the fighting, because they're trying to save their business, right? And this is, this is something that you both can really understand. Totally. The laundromat has, like Kenny says, has a lot of up and downs. And to maintain a laundromat, it's very difficult. And just like the project in the movie, um, you know, there's always a lot of bills and taxes and family. So it's pretty much, they, they did great, a great job with the story, with the movie. It really, it really hit home, didn't it, for y'all? Yeah, yeah. And one of the scenes, like uh, she was running out to her car, and then her mom was chasing after her, and I was like, it just like I just started like got like it triggered like like emotion of like just many like instances that having the laundromat, I was, like raising a daughter, my daughter growing up in the laundromat business, like being there when she was younger. Now she's busy with school and her music and everything else. But when she was younger, she would be there more often with me. What was the scene? Stephanie Shu, who who plays the daughter, running out to the car. That was the scene. And then I, I remember Stephanie, and she, I could see, she she saw me. I think she saw me crying. I was trying to hide it. And oh. then I was like, wow, that just triggered something. She looked, looked at me and just nodded her head, yes. Like, I know. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> so I knew something. I was like, wow, what's this movie like? It's going to be special. I knew right then. Have you been? Are you prepared for all the tourists, the people who want to come and, and, and check your place out? It's got some obviously distinguishable things that people will see in the movie, and they want to come see it in real life, don't they? Come by and see it. Maybe, like, buy something from the vending machine, a laundry bag, or... <laughs> <laughs> or just say hi. No, I, I like it. I like, I like when they come by and take pictures. I have no problem with it. But, you know, if they want to support a small business, you know... Maybe do a little laundry, right? <laughs> there's, a, there's been a couple that come by and did laundry that they were doing laundry and I saw them taking pictures. Yeah. That was pretty cool. Well, thank you both for coming on and talking with us about it. Uh, this, it uh, what, a, what an amazing journey for both of you. Just out of the blue, your laundromat becomes sort of a, a worldwide phenomenon in, in, uh, in, this, in this movie. <laughs> Kenny and Irene Majors, who own Majors Coin Laundry in San Fernando, where everything, everywhere, all at once was filmed. Thanks to you both. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Nice. Thanks for having us. Moving on now with Greater L.A. from KCRW, I'm Steve Chiatakis. Last Thursday, the state of California sued the city of Huntington Beach for failing to follow new state laws mandating that cities build affordable housing. Well, a few hours later, the city sued right back, claiming those mandates were an overreach. And so it goes down in Orange County. Let's talk about what happened What's going on with all these housing lawsuits and what it means? Gustavo Ariano is columnist for the LA Times and, of course, our weekly regular here on GLA. Hey, Gustavo. Hola, Steve. So, this all stems from the state's regional housing needs allocation. Talk a little bit about what that law is designed to do. This is something that goes back, geez, a couple of decades now, but basically, around every decade, the state of California goes to counties and say, hey, look, we need more housing. We have examined how much housing you have built over the past decade, and we're going to give you a number 
uh, that should match what our expectations are of growth. And so in the past, what a lot of cities in Orange County would do would be like, screw you, state, we'll pay whatever fine that you want. And that's that. And we'll continue to build the housing that we want. But recently, the state of California is like, no, you have to build it and you have to build more affordable housing as well. So, of course, that's an existential fight for so many cities in Orange County because they don't want affordable housing. So it's not a fine. It's a lawsuit, right? Now the state, yeah, under Rob Bonta and Gavin Newsom, especially under Bonta, ever since he's come into office, they're really pressing these cities. They're pressing the counties. And they're saying, like, you can't get away with this anymore. I mean, we've talked about this many times over the years where, like, cities in South County, they would say, like, the state would say, oh, can you build 7,000 units? And the city would say, eh, we'll build 1,000. Here's a some million-dollar fine, and we're we're fine like that. But not anymore. What is Huntington Beach saying is wrong with the law? First of all, they view what Newsom and the state says in terms of housing mandates. They see it as a benchmark. In other words, it's something that you should reach for. But if you can't reach for it, if you can't make it a well. And they're saying that to the point now where they're suing and saying the whole idea of these mandated uh, housing builds for cities, it's unconstitutional, especially what Huntington Beach is also arguing on a technical level is that it's a charter city. And as a charter city that they're allowed to uh, basically uh, get their way out of a lot of the mandates that California has for other things. I mean, they've said this in the past when uh, they sued this, uh, California over its sanctuary state law. They sued, of course, or they threatened to sue over mandates mandates over coronavirus. As you've mentioned, Kurt Vonnegut earlier, and so it goes when it comes to legal battles between Huntington Beach and California. At a recent council meeting, Gustavo, the, the mayor there in Huntington Beach, Tony Strickland, said, quote, there is a war on the automobile and there is a war on suburbia and they want to urbanize California. There's that word urbanize. Seems to be doing a lot of work there. Um, we do not want Huntington Beach, according to Strickland, to be Los Angeles, to be Santana, to be Anaheim. In other words, the supposed ills of overcrowding and high-rise buildings and too many people of color and poverty to dare impugn on Surf City, USA. I mean, Huntington Beach it has always considered itself the city different from the rest of Orange County, even as it ignores the many, many other ills that Huntington Beach has had over the decades. Like, hey, you know, big neo-Nazi population. And you don't see that in Santana or Los Angeles, but you tell me what's more dangerous. On the other side, Gustavo, everything <laughs> that we read about in California says that there is a housing crisis. There aren't enough homes, certainly not enough affordable housing. Does Huntington Beach not need more housing? Of course, Huntington Beach needs housing. The city officials will tell you they need more housing, but they want to do housing on their own terms, and really, they just want to slow down housing as much as possible. And this is where it's interesting, at least with one of the lawsuits that um, California is putting on Huntington Beach, because Huntington Beach basically does not want to uh, succumb to what they say is the mandate from California to allow so-called granny flats, these ADUs. And so in a recent city council meeting, you had a lot of residents, older residents saying, hey, look, I agree with you, Mayor Strickland. We do not want to urbanize Huntington Beach. But we also want the right to be able to do these ADUs because that, you know, we want to have our families live with us. We want to possibly rent it out so we could live and afford our, our own mortgages. So I have never seen um, conservatives be against the city in that sense. And it wasn't like, you know, uh, fire breathing or anything like that. They were being very polite. But 
I, I just was not expecting such uh, resistance against the city in its efforts to try to strike down this ADU mandate. I imagine these lawsuits are pretty expensive, right, on, on both sides. Who's paying for all this litigation? Well, the taxpayers are, but the city of Huntington Beach, at least the city council, they don't care. They recently got a 4-3 conservative majority. They gave the city attorney, Michael Gates, who's been there for a while and has really been the philosophical impetus behind a lot of these lawsuits. They gave him a raise of up like around $50,000. Now, in fairness, he hadn't had a raise since 2019, but they're very happy with what Gates has done, you know, suing the state of California. So as long as you have this council majority, they're going to tell Gates, like, all right, do whatever you need to do to defend our quote-unquote way of life here in Huntington Beach. Gustavo Ariano, columnist for the LA Times, our regular weekly guest here on GLA. Gustavo, thanks. Gracias. That's all the time we have for today. Tomorrow, an Inglewood church is starting up a for-profit production studio. They hope to bring Hollywood in and reach a larger audience for a wider message. Hope you'll tune in to GLA tomorrow. What's on your mind? Have a story idea from your part of Greater L.A.? Well, reach out to us at the website at kcrw.com slash greaterla. And get the podcast, too. You can get that podcast wherever you get your podcast by searching KCRW Greater L.A. Hope you can join us there and have us in your lineup. Juliana Mayo, Nihar Patel, Phil Richards, Sonia Geis, Amy Ta, Carlos Ramirez, Michael Stark, and Christian Bordall all put hard work into today's episode, I'm Steve Chiatakis. Hope you're enjoying that extra hour of daylight. Have a great night.